Hello, everybody, and welcome into another edition of the Time Out with DG podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Gotera. This is episode 10. We've reached number 10, and we haven't been kicked off of any of the podcast platforms, which I guess is a huge success for for us here with the Time Out with DG podcast. Thanks for tuning in. As always, we appreciate it. We got a huge uh, response for the Kelvin Sampson podcast, which was really great. If you haven't checked that one out, that was episode nine. Go check it out. While you're here, subscribe, rate the podcast so you can get alerts when the next episode is posted. You can find us on Apple if you're finding us there, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, as I always say, string bean. I think we're on some other stuff too. I'm not really quite sure, but uh, thanks for tuning in. This one, episode 10, I had the uh, pleasure of sitting down with New Dynamo uh, head coach Tab Ramos. A lot of people know that this was such an important hire for this organization. Look, they've missed the playoffs five of the last six years. Um, their attendance is not great. This past season, they were 20th of 24 teams in MLS uh, in attendance figures. 15,000 about there, just over per game, were going to Dynamo uh, matches. It's a great organization, a proud franchise that when they came here in uh, the mid-2000s, they won two back-to-back MLS titles. I remember when they opened Robertson Stadium, that place was alive. Brian Ching scoring four goals in the first match here with the Dynamo. Um, That was a great team. Two titles. Uh, Names that you know, even though this town um, is more football, baseball, and basketball-centric, there were names on those teams that people recognized. The, the Brad Davis, uh, Brian Ching, obviously, uh, Stuart Holden, Bobby Boswell, uh, Eddie Robinson. I mean, those guys were not only great soccer players, they were, they were, they were great people. They are great people. And um, this franchise just needs to get back into a rhythm. You know, we always talk about rhythm in sports. This franchise has not been in a rhythm at all the past five or six years. I mean, we, they've gone through different managers, different head coaches. Wilma Cabrera had his his moments, but they never really developed an identity. He would always change lineups all the time. There was never any flow on that end. Um, the identity of the team, whether they were attacking all the time, they would relax, sit back, and play defense. They were not consistent within the game. They would start fast and very, very slow. I don't know. I've lost count on how many times this team gave up leads uh, or gave up decisions late in the game that just were just mind-blowing, both on the road and here at home. I really think BBVA Stadium can be that home field advantage. It's tough to play there. When that place is rocking, when that place first opened up, it was a lot of fun. The crowd is on top of you. They call it the oven for a reason. It's hot, but the team is used to the heat when teams come from up north or from other places. It's really good. So I think that this was such an important hire, and I think they did get the right guy. Tab Ramos, really, really intriguing uh, hire. Ever since his playing days ended, he's been at multiple levels within USA Soccer, coached at different levels. Most recently, the under-20s, he's had a lot of success there, reaching the quarterfinals several times. Um, But this team's got a lot of decisions to make. One of the key factors that they have to decide and do is build up their Dynamo Academy. Um, Right now, only Memo Rodriguez has really broken through and contributed to the main club. But get that academy going, get some of these young guys. Right now in MLS, that's 
that's really how some of these teams that don't spend the money like the the coastal teams, you got to get a farm system going, just like baseball. And I think the Dynamo have to really strengthen that part of their operation. I think Tab's going to do a nice job with that. They have some big roster decisions to decide. Albert Elise is a big one. Uh, Mauro Manotas, what do they do with them? They got Christian Ramirez. He's a good player. They got Quintero from Minnesota. Tab likes to push push the tempo a little bit. We He and I talked about that. Obviously, fans are very disappointed. Every time you see a Dynamo post from the team, I don't know who's running their social media pages, but I do feel bad for them because anytime there was a post of this team this past season, just fans are lighting them up, and rightfully so, because there's just no consistency, and it's really tough to see. Kudos to the organization, the new president over there, Matt Jordan, the GM. Um, they held a summit with fans earlier this year to kind of gauge wh- what's going on to inform some of these uh, fan bases, fan groups about what's happening. So they're trying. I know they're trying, but the victories have to come out on the field. Positive results need to happen, and gosh, I mean, yes, they need to strengthen the academy, but this ownership group has not shown any indication that they're going to spend any type of money. I know you have to build up your young talent, but you got to spend a little money to get some talented players in here, especially now that some of these uh, bigger names are starting to come into MLS. I mean, there's multiple opportunities, I'm sure, to bring in a high-priced name um, that will not only bring fans back into the stands, energize the fan base with that, and also add to the talent on the field. Got to spend some money, man. If you're going to win, you got to spend some money, and this ownership group has unfortunately not shown any interest in doing that. But today, episode 10 is me catching up with Tab Ramos, the new head coach of the Dynamo. I hope you enjoyed. He had some great things to say about his upbringing in the game when he grew up in Uruguay. It's a really interesting guy, really fun uh, conversation that we had, so here it is. Check it out. The man charged to lead the Houston Dynamo, El Tecnico. We can call you El Tecnico. Tab Ramos is here with me on Time Out with DG. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me on. What does does this mean to you? What does this opportunity mean? Well, it it means a lot, obviously. I think, uh, first of all, I think it's the right opportunity for me. You know, I've always been a big fan of the the, sort of the, uh, the, the magnitude of this city and how, how grand it is. Uh, and then I think, you know, more importantly, it's the type of players that we already have here to begin uh, sort of setting the cornerstone of what we want to do. Um, I think we have the, um, the right ingredients to get started. We'll talk about the team, kind of your vision in a second. Let's get to you and your soccer history a little bit. When did you fall in love with this game? Wow, well, I mean, I, I can't really remember any life I've had without loving soccer. I mean, yeah. I think it's the moment I could walk or talk. I think soccer was already a big part of my life. Born because you were born in Uruguay, right? And yeah, obviously South America. I mean, that's that's it. That's what people do. They play soccer it's, down there. What were those early years like for you? Basically, one sport. Yeah, uh, the only sport, and. Um, yeah, so those early days were me following Nacional in Montevideo. And, uh, yeah, you know, trying to imitate players, trying to take free kicks on my own. And, you know, by the time I was six years old and I was taken to my first, you know, in Uruguay you start what they call baby football at six years old. By the time I got to baby football, I thought I was already a veteran because I— Is that right? Yeah, so the, my uncle finally convinced me to go. I felt like I'd, I had been playing on the street already forever. So what did, what did you learn the most from those early days, just playing? 
just for the love of the game? Well, I mean, it was just the competitiveness. You know, Uruguay is a is a it's a highly competitive country when it comes to soccer and. And I remember, you know, I signed with a club in the city that was directly pretty much across from another club. We shared the field. And I remember already at, you know, seven and eight years old playing derbies that were like important that you had to win. So as much as, you know, in this country, we always feel like, oh, you know, kids are only 12. They're only 13. Yeah. <laughs> you know, winning is really not that important. Um, in Uruguay, it's already important when you're seven. So what was the biggest takeaway you had what what did you learn about yourself? And you were still young, but I mean, obviously, like you talked about the competitive nature of it. What did you learn about yourself and your skill set and the the way you played the game that kind of carried you on from that point forward from those early days? Um, I mean, I I don't remember much. From you know, I was really young, um, but I do remember that in in terms of the way I played, I would you know I always like to take players on. You know, I always like to be creative. You know, even you know in Uruguay, although. You know, let's you know, let's just say it's a it's a pretty rough youth um, sort of development pathway, especially for a player that likes to have the ball. You're always getting kicked, and you're you sure. Know, I I just remember being that guy. Um, I know within my club, I always got moved up in age groups. So I, you know, I played in my own age group, and then I played an age group up. Um, so yeah, for me, it was uh, it was really exciting times. I felt really like I was I was big time playing for my team at seven and eight years old. So then you you take your game, you come here to the States, uh, Nor North Carolina State, is that where you went? I yeah. went to North Carolina State. Yeah, correct. so what was that transition like, coming from Uruguay, coming here to the United States? Yeah, so I moved here just a couple of days shy of my 12th birthday, Okay. Uh, and I remember, you know, at 12 years old is when baby football ends in Uruguay, so I was going into my last year of you know, playing what they, you know, baby football. It's kind of and, fun. That's a funny name, baby yeah, football on your yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what they call it. Yeah. Well, because it's not a direct translation. So it's Bobby football in, yeah, yeah. in Spanish. So it's not, doesn't mean the same thing. Sure, sure. Really. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so it was, it was really disappointing for me at the time moving to the U.S. because I, you know, I had a, I was on a good pathway. You know, my team was getting ready to travel to Buenos Aires to play against Boca Juniors. So we were starting to get a little bit bigger. Um, and, you know, my father picked to come to the U.S. He had a job here. So uh, I remember being upset with my father, you know, saying, you know, out of all the countries in the world, why do we have to go to one that doesn't really have soccer? Is that right? Uh, yeah. So it was it was difficult for me. Um, uh, but then, you know, then I found my way, you know, by the age of 15, I got selected to to the under 20 national team. We can get into that whole story, you know, <laughs> later. But uh, but yeah, so by 15 already, I was playing on the national team here. At the U20s, you know, in the past, we only had U20s. We didn't have 19s, 18s, 17s. Sure. We didn't have any of that. There was only one youth national team, and uh, and I got selected pretty early. So my career sort of got going fast here, too. So when you got here, what was was there a moment where, you know, because you said it was, it was it was hard. The transition mm -hmm. for you was so hard. Was there was there a conversation that you had? Was there a, a group that you joined? Was there was something that kind of kind of put you at ease a little bit from being here? Or was it the fact that you got selected for that club and you felt like, okay, well, I can now prove my skill set here with a, with a different group? No, it was really challenging, actually. You know, I'm, we moved to a part of the country, too, where, like, you know, not many people spoke Spanish. So, you know, it was really difficult. You know, I had to deal with the whole, a lot of things that, you know, Latino kids have to deal with. Uh, growing up, that was really difficult for me. I was I, I was on my own most of the time for the first six months. You know, I would basically go to the playground and play by myself because, yeah. you know, not a lot of kids wanted to play soccer and not a lot of kids 
spoke Spanish, so I was really on my own for a long time. So I felt like I was falling behind. Until one point, one you know, one kid showed up at the playground and said, "Hey, you know, you look like you're pretty good. You want to sign up for a rec team?" And I was like, "I don't, I didn't know what that meant, but I was like, yeah, if it means playing soccer, I want to sign up." Yeah. So I told with my, other kids too. Right, right. Yeah. So I told my parents that, and uh, my parents were like, uh, "Yeah, whatever. You know, we got to go to work. You know." Yeah, sure. You know, that's how so you do. You, yeah, yeah no, Latino, that's right. You know, it's not like my my parents. You know, t nowadays we bend over backwards to take our kids everywhere. Back then, it was like my parents had to go to work. They yeah, didn't it's really just a different. They didn't care about my practice. You know, like mm -hmm. yeah, they you know in general they cared, but they had to, you know. So I had to find my way. So anyway, so they said, "Yeah, go you know go ahead and give it a shot," and. Um, so I went, obviously, and, and signed up because everybody made the team. And I played rec soccer for the, a total of maybe a half a game. Half and, a game. The, and then they really took me out and they told me I couldn't play there anymore. Uh, they oh, basically really? said, you know, you got to go to like a travel team. Because the fields they had, I went to the... I went to the fields, and the first day they gave me the T-shirt, and it was actually an orange T-shirt, you know? Like, no kidding. Think about it, you know? Is that right? Now that I think of it, it comes yeah. comes full circle. Yeah, it, it was an that. orange T-shirt, and I remember thinking, wow, it's like the Dutch, you know? Like, <laughs> That's it's it. orange, yeah. you know? And uh, so I showed up to play, and I, and I realized, you know, the field was on the outfield of a baseball field, uh, kind of like New York City FC, let's just say. I but, got you. But, uh, so it was a, but I could score on a goal kick, you know? Like, I was already so far advanced. Oh, my. I had been playing, so... So they basically just didn't allow me to play. Oh, they that's saw too me bad. Play. Yeah, like, so, okay, no, no, so, you're... Right, so they took me to a club, a real club, and it happened to be a Scottish club, and that's where I ran into guys like John Harks and, you know, guys that had already, that were good players. Sure. And then that's sort of how it got going. But it, it took a while. Well, I can't, I can't imagine that first time when you step onto a field like that, and you're, you're, all of a sudden you realize... Holy smokes, I, I am better than all, all these guys just like that. And you were what, not, you said 14? I was, uh, yeah, I was, I was probably close to 13. I was yeah. 12 and, you know, however many months. And, uh, yeah, I thought I was going to play, you know, with, you know, with other soccer players, but it wasn't really soccer players. It was kids playing soccer. You know, if, at 12 years old, kids playing rec soccer is not normally the That's right. know, high level. So, so it was just kids that played soccer, you know, and some of them were wearing knee pads and some were wearing, you know, goggles. Sure. And I was like, it seemed kind of strange to me, the whole but but it was you know it was, it was maybe but it was maybe a half a game no but it was important for you though i mean it was it was good that you finally got some you know semblance of okay well here i'm 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 in a new country but hey i'm playing the game that i love finally and that opened the door to us yeah, i mean it was a first step never forgotten because you know obviously you know the red bulls the Red Bulls are sort of my MLS club. You know, that's where I played seven years. You know, it's the yep. Metro Stars and the Red Bulls. So I go to, you know, when I'm home, I always go to the Red Bulls games. And I have to drive right by that baseball field where I play. No so kidding. I'm always telling my, you know, so my kids are always telling me, oh, you're always telling the same story. You know, like I'm always <laughs> telling That's where I played my first game, you know. And it yeah. was really, it wasn't really a game. But uh, You but should yeah, just so show that, up again and start playing with uh, whoever's <laughs> out there now. That's true. But, uh, yeah, so that, that remains, you know, it remains a, a place that I see all the time when I'm in New Jersey. Yeah. So then the next step for you was this, this club team that you were telling me about, this other, this other Scottish team. So what was, what was the transition like from that point forward? How did you kind of move in your career a little yeah, bit Yeah, so from that point forward, now I was playing on a travel team with soccer players. You know, some of them were good and some of them were not as good, but it was soccer players. It was yeah. all, you know, so it was uh, much more serious. The name of the club was Thistle FC, Thistle Football Club. 
and uh, and it was for real. I mean, it was all a lot of immigrants. You know, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Harrison Carney area where I live, there was a lot of Irish and Sc Scottish background um, people, and they they took their soccer seriously. I mean, we had a club where we all met, uh, and then from there we traveled to the game. So it was uh, I was very fortunate actually to run into. You know, you know, I mean, you, you have to think this is like late 70s to run into like a real soccer club. Yeah, you no know? doubt. And that was a real soccer club uh, back then. And so that had to have made you feel so good. Yeah, that was I finally felt like I could breathe again, you know, because uh, I was already, you know, you know, besides the fact that I wasn't playing soccer for a real club like I was in Uruguay, I was also missing my grandparents and, mm -hmm. and you know, uncles and aunts and, you know, like every Latino kid that has to make the effort Definitely. to move into this country is not easy. Um, and that's leaving sports aside, just life in general is not easy. And so, and so, yeah, so I finally got going. It was great. Then I tried out for the, you know, they made me go try out for the state team, you know, because I played one year. And so I made the state team and it just so happened that the state team coach was Manfred Shellshite who's one of the greats, great coach the U.S. has ever had. Uh, and he was also assistant coach on the U.S. national team, on the U-20s. Sure. And so that's sort of the connection, you know, at, at 14 years old, I'm on the state team. And, you know, and by 15, he invites me one time, the U-20s come to New Jersey. He says, why don't you come and practice with us for a week? You know, yeah. and here I am, you know, I'm four years younger than all the, the rest of them were 19 he said, come practice with us. And that's sort of how that my national team career got started. I just went to play. And next thing I know, you know, the coaches picked me for the team. When I didn't even think I was trying out, I was just going to play. Yeah. And uh, so three years after landing in the U.S., um, I, I become a citizen because my father had already been here for a couple of years working. Okay. He had already started his paperwork. So he was on the verge of becoming a citizen. And so the politicians in New Jersey were able to help me uh, to speed up my father's citizenship so that I could automatically oh, become wow. a citizenship and now I could play for the U.S. So that's so it was that's after crazy. three years of being in the country and just learning English still. Yeah. I was already on the U-20s. So. Uh, that's that's doesn't really happen that much. Right. I mean, that that story's got to be pretty rare, especially yeah. back then. I yeah. I mean, and, and, you know, I was lucky that my father had already been to U.S. a couple of times. So my my dad was a he was an electrical engineer, but he was he was more he was working more as a tool and die maker. He you know, I'm not sure if you know how that is, but he made molds for like toys and things. Oh, like sure. That. OK. So he you know, he already had a contract for work. So they speeded up his his process. Yeah. So it was, uh, yeah, so it worked out good that way. So what was the eye-opening experience once you were on the team? Do you remember the moment where, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm at this level and I'm, I'm playing with guys that are, are really, really talented. Was there a moment for you that, okay, I, I arrived, I, I belong here because you, you were still younger. You said, yeah. was there, was there yeah. a particular moment when you, you kind of came across the fact of like, okay, I belong. This is this is where I, I'm at. Uh, no, not really. I, I felt I don't it was just think, a gradual thing for you. No, I don't think there was a moment where I where I felt like I didn't belong. So okay. I started to play with the older guys, and it was just you know I you know in Uruguay growing up, I was playing with you know on the streets at seven and eight years old. You don't pick ages. You know everybody plays. So you're That's playing right. against 15, 18 year olds, 20 year olds. You know you just jump in games. And they don't allow you if you can't play well, so you have to do it. Yeah. You know, yeah. So you, so yeah. For me, it was uh, actually easy transition going to play with the older guys. So what was it like to put on the U.S. jersey? 
It was uh, at first it was sort of, you know, it was it was not easy, you know, because I had only been in the country for three years. And I remember my my, my grandmother saying to me, hey, you know, if you know, if you ever, you know, you ever play Uruguay, you know, we want you to be the best player, but we want Uruguay to win. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. OK, OK, I get it, Grandma. You know, like, thanks for the support. Thanks you know? for the pep talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So so that's kind of how I started. It just so happened. I mean, what a coincidence. Right. So we qualified to the World Cup. I think I think I scored the winning goal in overtime against Guatemala in Guatemala to qualify us to the U-20 World Cup. And, and what year was this? Now? This is like 1982. And so I scored the goal to qualify us to the World Cup. We ended up winning 3-1. I think I scored the 2-1 uh, in the game. I don't recall exactly, but I think that's yeah. what it was. But anyway, the, the, the important part of the story is that then the World Cup draw comes out. And we get Uruguay in our group, and we get Uruguay the first game. Of course. So it had a, it could only be that. Of course. And uh, so my first World Cup game uh, was against Uruguay in Mexico City. And uh, I'm sorry, in in in, uh, in Guadalajara, Mexico. Do you remember the phone? Do you remember the phone call then with your grandma? <laughs> yeah, my grandmother said, "Hey, you know everything stands. You know, like we want. <laughs> I you wasn't to be kidding. <laughs> we want you to be the best, but we want Uruguay to win. So, so. what was that match like? It was uh, it was such mixed feelings because you know in 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 youth soccer you normally end up at the same hotel as the other team. So the Uruguay players brought me a plaque from my club that I was playing oh, in Uruguay. That's, that's yeah. fantastic. So I was playing with this club in Montevideo. It was called Union Union Vecinal, and they sent a plaque for me uh, with the Uruguay players. Uh, so it was it was really nice. I mean, it's it's difficult. You know, we all here in I would say a lot of Latino people in this country have to live through that fact that you know we're u.s fans but we also have a country so we're fans of our country too you no know question. like we can root for both and and it's difficult you know like uh, those moments are not easy so what were your parents did your parents go to that match or did they no my no, parents they, couldn't afford to could, travel over yeah. there you know like uh, but but they so what was your games. parents reaction throughout all this you know they're, they're working they've yeah. got their own thing but as they see you progress yeah and to get to this point because they know you love to play the game i mean what was what was their reaction through all of this yeah so so my father since my father had moved to the u.s before us a couple of years before because of the job um he hadn't really seen me play that much, you know, so I wasn't, so I, I think initially he really didn't take it that seriously. He was like, I was advancing in levels and I made the state team and I made the regional team and that didn't mean anything to my father. Like I would come home and tell my dad, hey dad, I made the regional team, you know, and he'd be like, oh, that's great. And and then I, and then I would say to him, well, it costs $250 to go to, to regional camp for a week. And he'd be like, well, you're not going, you know, like, yeah. it was like you know, oh, so geez. then I wouldn't, so then I wouldn't go until the last minute. The people from region one would call me and say, hey, you're not signed up for the regional camp. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not going. And they're like, well, no, we want you to come. I said, no, but my parents aren't going to pay. They can't pay. Yeah. And they would be like, no, no, we want to help you anyway. We want you to come. So, you know, there's always the people out there that come out of the yeah, come out of the blue that help you, you know. Sure. That's, Those that's, are the people you never forget, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so then you, you progress. Um, you go to college, right? Went, you you played in college, to, yeah. I went to high school at St. Benedict's Prep in Newark. Uh -huh. um, and then I went to college at North Carolina State. Yeah. And what was and that I, like, playing in college? Um, it was, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed yeah. it. College soccer was great. At always the time. itching to get back to the, to the national team level. Yeah, always, always. You know, I went right after World Cup qualifying for the, for the U20s. I went right into college and it was, 
obviously I played in the ACC. Mm-hmm. So, at, you know, back then it, it hasn't changed that much, but back then definitely all the best players played in the ACC pretty much. Uh, so it was, uh, it was, you know, highly competitive. Yeah. I did my four years there. I graduated later on. Um, but I did graduate, which is something my parents really wanted. Um, so yeah, so I played all four years in college. I, I, I loved it. I made great friendships. Sure. With guys I still talk to, you know, like all that stuff. Your first World Cup was in 90, 1990, right? With the, with the main national, U.S. national team. Correct. Was, what was the, was there a difference, the, the feeling? I would imagine was was very different for you, even though you put on that jersey before, and then you now it's the World Cup. I mean, this is this is the biggest stage of all. I mean, you know, when you find yourself in Rome playing against Italy yeah. in a full stadium, you know that this is a little bit different than anything you've done before. Yeah. I mean, that was an you know. That what was, were you thinking leading up to that match? Um, I mean, we had we our first match was actually against. Uh, Czechoslovakia at the time, and we and we got destroyed. We lost like five one. And and so we thought, okay, our second game now is in Rome against Italy. <laughs> Jeez. You know, that was like so I mean I know that a lot of newspapers said that, you know, the the World Cup record might be broken that day for goals because I think El Salvador lost nine or ten one in a World Cup game and and that came up as this is gonna be the day that that record's broken. Because you were just we lost had just lost one, yeah. right. We lost five one to Czechoslovakia. So they're thinking, wow, now you go to Rome to play Italy. Yeah, and, you know. And actually, we played a great game. We lost one zero, um, and uh, and it was a great game. I, I I really feel like that's the first time the U.S. team kind of showed itself. You know, yeah. in a long time since the since likely the nineteen fifty World Cup. And you got a taste, right? That group got a taste for what the World Cup was like. And then when it comes back home in ninety four then you're you're ready. And yes. So having it here must have been so special for you as a player. I know it was a big right. deal. Right. I remember watching those matches right. on TV. It was so big uh, for even a nation that didn't, you know, hasn't fully embraced soccer like others have right. around the world. But for a player, that must have been so special for you every time you hit the, the pitch. Yeah, so when we came, we came, now we have a chance to play the World Cup at home, but now it's a different story. You know, in 1990, when we went to Italy, we were – basically just tourists playing in a world cup yeah we had no professional experience no real professional experience and now we go into 1994 and we have guys like you know uh eric guinalda thomas dooley roy wagerly um john harks like a lot of guys with um professional experience Yeah. yeah um yeah, and and uh, obviously Alexi as well, yeah. but Alexi was up and coming. He oh, was a younger okay, player. I got you, I got he you. was a starter, yeah. but he didn't have the European experience yet. Yeah. But we had, of course, we had Alexi, we had Marcel Balboa, we had a lot of those guys. But we now had a lot of guys that were playing in Europe. Yeah. To come here, I got and, you. And and so we felt competitive. Um, obviously, we had a tough group because we had Colombia in our group, and Colombia was picked by by Pele to win the World Cup. They were, I think, South American champions at the time. They had beaten Argentina yep. 5-0 in Buenos Aires. That's probably uh, the best team they'd ever f- fielded. For sure. Still yeah. till today is the best team probably they've ever had. Um, and so we were, but we felt like we were a real team. You know, it was different than the first time where yep. we were just hanging in there. So, but just being in the U.S. and the magnitude of, you know, the World Cup 94 and what it did for soccer, you know, it's just... It's amazing. What did it do when you look back on it? What, what I mean, I, mean, I change, look back did and it changed the whole game. Yeah, it changed the whole game because now I'm. I look at the beginning. I look at us, you know, beating Colombia that second game and knocking them out of the World Cup, 
and immediately now we're in good mo- we're on Good Morning America doing yeah. interviews. We're like all of a sudden we became the like the thing sure. in the country. And soccer had never lived that. And uh, and so you know, Alexi is at the, at the Letterman show, and we have guys in all different. Show- I mean, it became now something that was a national sort of attention sport for the first time. So it was the first. It was baby steps. Uh, but it was the first time that it was real steps towards something. It was special to you also because you put so much time and effort. All those guys put so much. And to be rewarded, to be you know, looked upon from the whole nation, That even if, even if it's a country that you, know, you weren't born in, but now that you're part of it, it's got to be so cool for you. Yeah, something we couldn't imagine. I mean, at this point, you know, we're, you know, I moved to the country in 1978. This is 1994. Yeah. So it's a long, you know, this is yeah. more, this is most of my life now. So, so now growing the sport in this game was already part of what we did every day. Yeah. I mean, we always fought to grow the game. So can you, I have to ask you about the match against Brazil um, <laughs> with Leonardo. What, what do you, re- what do you remember about it? Um, and just kind of walk me through that day. Brazil ended up being the champions. The, the winning. What, can you walk me through all that, all that happened on that day? Yeah, I uh, I actually remember m- most of everything that happened on that day. Uh, you know, I just, um, you know, obviously we had a, we had a good team. Brazil was the best team. You know, they ended up winning that World Cup. But in that game in particular, I, you know, I felt like I was playing a great game. Like they were having a little bit of a tough time. Uh, you know, uh, sort of keeping me at bay. I was starting to make plays on my side of the field. And then that that elbow came right before halftime. I think it was around the 40th minute um, and really came out of the blue because Leonardo was not a violent player by any mm-hmm. means. And I think it just goes to show you sometimes in sports, you know, when things aren't going your way, you can lose your head, you know. And I think that's what happened to him at that moment. And for me, obviously, it was a it, it, it changed my life a little bit because, uh, you know, Obviously, we ended up losing the game to Brazil. Um, I ended up losing my position at Betis in Spain. I was playing at Real Betis. We had just moved up to La Liga. We had just gained promotion. And and now because my injury, you know, I had a cracked skull, so mm-hmm. now I was out in the, uh, for the how, next... Yeah, how long were you out? You were out I was out, uh, they told me three to five months. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and actually, I saw a, a doctor for the U.S. boxing Olympic team uh, just to get another opinion, and he told me, "Well, look, if you're a boxer, I wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to box again." And he goes, "And you're always going to run the risk that if you get, if you get hit in the head again with a, even with a ball, uh, it could be really dangerous for you." And but at the time, you know, I couldn't live without soccer yet. I wasn't ready for that. I was sure. like, you know, I know maybe not a smart decision, but but I didn't want to stop playing. I basically, I basically ignored that. And and I said, you know what, I'll take responsibility for that. At the same time, you know, I had a thousand attorneys call me because we're in the U.S. And they're like, let's sue everyone. You know, let's sue Brazil and Leonardo and and FIFA and U.S. soccer. Let's sue everybody. Let's get rich. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, no, I just I kind of I just want to play, you know, like so. He he did. I, I did read. He did come back and you guys spoke. We've spoken many times. So, but so, soon after that happened, he did come back, and well, he, he, he felt bad. He felt terrible. That's uh, from what I read. Yeah, yeah, he felt terrible. Not- he actually came to the hospital. He was crying when he came to the hospital to see me that night. He came with the president of the Brazilian Federation. I mean, he was really apologetic about what happened. Obviously, he got red carded and missed the rest of the tournament. Yep. So that's that's pun that's punishment there when you missed to win the World Cup. <clears throat> but he was, you know, and then. 
all the World Cups after for the next four or five World Cups, we always got called, Leonardo and I, and to be on radio shows together to Is talk right? about it. So it was like it kind of got old, but uh, but we became friendlier, you know, and you know I, I accepted his apology from the beginning. I know I, you know I've lost my head myself in games, so Definitely. I mean it happens. So I understood. So when did you, along this whole process, think about you know what one day I want to be a coach? Uh, never, never along the whole process. I never thought as a player that I would become a coach. Um, it only happened after I stopped playing. So when I retired from playing, I I. Um, I got involved with coaching my kids. Uh, I had already been doing it in my last year, but not seriously, not thinking I'm going to be a coach, just to help out like every dad does. Sure. Um, why didn't you want to be a coach? Why? why well, so that then, never entered your mind? Y- y- um, I was just a player. I played by instinct, really. As a matter of fact, I, I remember very little of what coaches told me on the field, <laughs> you know, to be honest. And I've, and I've been coached by, by some of the greatest coaches. Carlos Alberto Pereira, who was a world champion, uh, Carlos Carroge, who coached Real Madrid and you know, assistant coach at Manchester United under Alex Ferguson. Uh, I had Jorge D'Alessandro in Spain, who coached after coach me at Betis. He coached Atletico Madrid. He like, you know, I've so I've had, you know, I've been with big coaches, and uh, I remember very little of the coaching. I do remember my personal relationship with them, and that would become bigger for me later down the road. I didn't know it, but it would become bigger for me because when I retired, then I finally retired. When I started to become a coach, I, I realized when I took my B license that I that there was so much about the game that I didn't know, mm. and I started to love the game in a different like, way, well, in yeah. a completely different way. Yeah, complete because today I identify myself as a coach and not a player. Isn't that interesting? Like completely, because most people will ask me, "Oh, because you played and you were the player," and for me, that's like another person that already left. Yeah. Like I've been a coach now like for a 17 life. Yeah. Yeah. This is 17 years for me of coaching and of having like a real passion for coaching. Um, so when I, when I took my B and I was like, wow, this is amazing. And I ran into, uh, you know, a coach, a big time coach who said to me, well, you just retired from playing. If you want to be a real, a real coach, you have to start from the beginning with the little guys. You have to learn how to teach the game. So you learn the game. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. And I did it. And I coach, from U9 all the way to U18, I coach every age group. I took about eight, nine years of really learning the game, of finding solutions in different age groups. Um, I think coaching really is about finding solutions yeah. and about having good relationships with players. And uh, and I sort of began that formation of being a coach. I took my A license. Recently, I took my pro license. I always go to, you know, if I find any seminars or anything, I go to learn more about the game. And I, I really develop it strong passion for the game that I love and I love the game more than ever before what um was there some advice along the way that maybe a previous coach or somebody gave you or did did you just kind of pick up your own style as you went along and kind of discover this new phase of your life in soccer I I mean I think you develop your own yeah uh, and it has to fit your personality right that's how I feel about the game like I, I I would like for the team to reflect a little bit of my personality on the field, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, but I, but I think, and you pick up things from everybody, you know, but I do remember those, per, those relationships with coaches, um, because, you know, I, I, I look back at, f- for example, Jorge D'Alessandro, who's, uh, the coach in Spain, who, who coached Atletico Madrid after coaching Betis, he, he said to me at one point when they signed me first in Spain, um, he said to me, he goes, um, he goes, okay, so you, we signed you for the, to play on the right side. 
So what we'll do here is we're going to play 4-4-2. You're going to play on the right side. We're going to circulate the ball, and we're going to get it to you as soon as we can get it to you to have you isolated 1v1. And when you get the ball, we want you to beat the guy and cross the ball into the area between the six-yard box and the nine. That's your job. He goes, do you think you can do it? And I said, yeah, coach, of course I can do it. I, you know, that's yeah. what I'm here for. I can do it. And he goes, because if you can't, we'll buy somebody else who can. Just like that. Like, I was like, okay, okay, I get that. Okay, yeah. okay, now I understand. No nonsense, but you know, straight up. No nonsense, yeah. straight up. And I really like that because it was, it was a really clear message for me. You know, there's a lot of coaches that don't really give a clear message. And it was a really clear message. But then he would go to the number nine, for example, and say, hey, you know that guy we just bought over there? The little guy, he's going to take people on and he's going to cross the ball between the six and the nine, like right there. When the cross comes in, I need you to be at that spot every single time. Can you do it? Because if you can't, I'll find somebody else who can be that's there. It. Yeah, you know? that's And right. so it's, a, it's kind of a clear, and then you put the picture, it's like a puzzle that you put together. And I always remember that because I like to be clear with the players about their function. I do understand that the attacking players, you can't tell them how to do it. You can tell them some things you want, but if you tell them too much, then you take their creativity away. Sure. So you have to allow them to it's be a game creative. Of creativity, yeah. I don't know because I can't go to one of our players here that's an attacking player at the Dynamo and say, I want you to do this because it's likely that they don't know what they're doing next. That's so right. I can't tell them what they're doing. If now I put in their mind that I need them to do something, maybe they're thinking about it too much and I want them to be creative. Yeah. And so I get that part. Did you think when you were with the U.S. national team as a coach going through all the stages that one day you'd coach the national team? No, no, never. No, like it never entered before, your mind? No. no, when I was a player, I never thought that I would be a coach. No, I'm talking about like just as a, as a coach, as you're going through the ranks as a coach, down through the U9s, U10s, U20s, as a oh, coach. Oh, of course. The, yeah, of that, course. That's I kind always, of what you're working. Yeah, so, you yeah. work to be like uh, at yeah. the best level. Yeah, you yeah. want to be a professional coach. You want to coach the national team. All those things are always yeah. – yeah, I would think every coach has that sure. goal, you know, to be the best you can be. Was were you surprised you didn't get an opportunity to do so? Uh, well, I mean, my life's not over yet. No, but, well, I mean, uh, yeah, I, during, in well, that track. Yeah, yeah. No, but I mean, yeah. in that track, yeah. Uh, that you were yeah, on. I mean, I, I was surprised. Yeah, I would say I was surprised, especially because of the circumstances of how the last few years I went through at U.S. Soccer sure, with yes. failing to qualify to the World Cup, which is really something that I thought was unthinkable, really. Yeah. Um, you know, that was a big surprise. And, yeah, so I was, I was, you know, I was surprised that I wasn't part of that picture at the time. Um, you know, but that, that happens. I mean, That's only right, one yeah. person can get the, ulti yeah. you know, the ultimate job. So, um, I mean, I'm I'm really happy to be here. To oh, be of honest, oh no, of I course, I love this. No, of course, no, that's not what <laughs> yeah. I was trying to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, not not what I'm getting at. It's yeah. because you know, as, as you go along that track, yeah. you think you're going to get to that point. So what? Before we start kind of diving into the dynamo yeah. and your your yeah. thoughts here, what what are, what are your thoughts on U.S. soccer, the state of it right now? Well, I mean, I think it's uh, it's it's in a I think and it's a, it's in a confusing sort of place right now, uh, mm -hmm. where it's it's hard even for me, and I was there. It, it's hard to see. Okay, where where are we going now? Is it is it about young players? Is it about older players? Are, are we are we looking to qualify next year? Are we looking to two thousand twenty six? 
it's sort of confusing at this point. I'm not sure if, you know, I'm a big believer that in order for you to play on the senior national team, you have to be a good professional player on your team. Uh, you don't just get a bye because you happen to be young. Yeah. Like, you still have to prove yourself. Uh, and I think the national team is not a place to develop. The national team is to a place to come in and win games and go home. Um, so... You develop yeah. with your club, you do the, the skill sure. set and you, all that. Yeah, you develop where you play every day. That's right. And then you come to the national team because you're the best where you play every day. Yeah. And then that allows you to be sort of the all star guy that comes to the national team. Um, so it's in a, it's in a place now that's a little bit. Uh, I think it's a little bit confusing. The talent is there's talent. I mean, the, the the young generation. I mean, they're they're fun to watch. There's there's potential. There's potential. There's potential, okay. which okay. is different than talent. I got you. So, yeah, there's a lot of talented players everywhere, and many of them have potential. But that potential now has to turn into something. So when you get an opportunity here with the Dynamo, what was so attractive about this team, this club, at this moment in your life? Well, I, I think, number one, just the, 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 just the, the magnitude of what this city is. You know, Houston is is massive. I mean, it's a massive city with huge potential. You know, when I see, you know, places and and obviously great places like, you know, Kansas City succeed the way they have yep. with their fans. Uh, when you see that, you know, cities like, uh, like Portland succeed the way they have. Atlanta. Uh, when you see that Atlanta goes crazy the way it has, um, I, I'd like to see Houston go crazy that way. Um, because I think it can happen, and I think Houston is bigger than all of those and oh, can yeah, do more. Sure. And so obviously it doesn't happen overnight, uh, and it has to be a little bit at a time. And I don't forget that I'm coming also to a champion club. This is not like I'm not starting a club. This, is, right, a cha- this is a champion club. So this is a, I, I, I think this is a great place to be. When you watched the Dynamo last year, what was your takeaway from the talent or potential that was on yeah, the field. Yeah, no, I mean, when you know, when you talk about pros, you're talking about talent. Now this yeah. is talent, and I, I was really, um, I was really attracted to the players that Houston Dynamo um, had. Yeah, I, I they're fun the to watch. They're... I, I, I think it, it's a, you know, it's a fun team to watch, and it, I, I'm sure it will be a fun team to coach. Um, we'll see where all the pieces fall mm-hmm. in the end. Um, but I mean, I think it's a it's a great place to start. I you know, and I and I know what I want to see, and I think that I think it's a good place to get going with that. What is your coaching identity now? The 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 personality of the team that you want, that your personality. How do you what do you want to translate onto the field? Yeah, I mean, without getting into specific sure. tactics, I can say that you know I want a happy team. Yeah. I want a ha- I want a team that looks happy on the field. That looks happy to be doing what they're doing. That you know that that doesn't want the game to end. Mm-hmm. You know that you know scores a goal and is just looking for another one. You right. know, I mean, it, these are things that are really easy to say. Then they're difficult to do because some, you have an opponent too, and sometimes you have an opponent with great players. You know, you play LAFC, and you, you know you want a happy team and you want to score a goal and then you score another. But they have good players and they yeah. score goals too. So. But uh, but ultimately, that's what I'd like to see. I'd like to see a team that's a reflection of you know they come on the field, and they can't wait to get on the field, and they don't want to come off it. Just have fun. Yeah, yeah. That's what I want to see. Being the first player to sign into MLS, what do you think of the league right now? 
um, the way it is with the with the amount of talent that's kind of coming in. You you see competitive matches in the playoffs. It's been really exciting to watch some of those games. Um, where do you think MLS is right now? I think MLS is in a great place. You know, I would have never imagined when I signed as a first player. I wanted to help, obviously, to uh, to start the league, and I was hoping that we that the league would last a long time. Uh, but I I honestly didn't think we'd be here. Um, I think what's really positive about what's happening in the league right now is that now we've already gone through sort of stage two where teams are building their own uh, stadiums, which is huge. That's that was a huge step, and now we're taking one bigger, which is all the the owners of MLS have decided that they want to invest in their academies and in player development. Yep. And so I think when you get to that point where ownership believes that investing in, in youth is the right thing to do, I, I think soccer is here to stay. So what's the biggest advice somebody has given you about Houston? Uh, <laughs> wow, advice. Restaurants, uh, yeah. anything anybody has told you about? I mean, as far as I know, Houston has more restaurants than any city in the country except for New York City, right? That's correct. So, I mean, that's excellent. So excellent that's, food, yeah. It's good to know. Um, they did give me uh, the great advice that, that, uh, that I've – seeing that is true which is you run into traffic no matter where you go at any time uh and and the city's so big that it's hard to get around um, yeah because get used the, to that you, you, yeah, yeah. i don't know actually you know what i don't know if you're ever gonna get used yeah, yeah. to that i've been here yeah. now uh about to be 18 years so it's pretty crazy yeah so i think uh you know i've i've only been here for a week and a half uh yeah. and i'm trying to still you know learn what roads to be on and and just, you know, 288 has really been, it's hard for me to get out. You get too far away from 288 at this point. Sure. Um, but um, but I'm sure I'll learn, you know. it's uh, I'm excited about being here. I, I know, you know, when I when I played at Tigris, I knew what people thought of Houston and the magnitude of what it was. And and so I've been attracted to Houston since since the 90s, really. And the feedback from the fan base, the, 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 fans, the fans are looking for a return to what the team, the championship level team, what has the feedback been like from the fans so far in the time that they've announced you to be the the manager, the head coach? Yeah, I mean, the, I know that the fans are really excited, you know. Um, we have to remember, too, that in today's MLS is much different than that MLS. Um, you know, teams are investing a lot more at the top. Uh, teams are spending crazy amount of money on players yeah uh and and the competition is very you know there's a lot more teams that have an opportunity to win the league um so yeah i mean that's not scary by any means but it is a different league than it was uh in 2006 and 2007 i have to ask you dude what do you remember about those teams uh just the passion that they had the houston yeah. teams yeah the dynamo yeah, teams I that mean, won the they, championship you know, the passion yeah. they had the skill, you know, when you look at a Stu Holden, you yeah. know, like the fun he had playing. I mean, those are fun teams to watch, uh, and hopefully we can we can replicate that. All right. Thank you so much, Tab Ramos. Yeah. Appreciate you for joining me, and good luck. Thank you for season. having me on. Appreciate it.